Assalamu alaikum everyone. Welcome back to Isn't Mo Quarantine though, the second season of Isn't Mo Muslim though. I'm your host, Ziad Dadaboy. Today we have a really special guest, uh, actually a relative of mine. Her name is Noshin Dadaboy. She's a Pakistani-American director who has been a part of a wide range of films. So many to list that we could do really a whole season on them alone. But really, you know, she has uh, worked over four continents in 25 countries in, in 11 languages. She has a lot of different films that have appeared on Netflix, PBS, Showtime. Um, so you know what, let's just kind of dive into it. Noshin, welcome to the show. Can you tell the audience a little bit more about your work and how the pandemic has really affected uh, what you've been doing? I like being um, introduced as an actual relative of yours. Um, especially considering there's so many data boys. <laughs> yeah, you're the first one on. <laughs> um, so I am a cinematographer, which means I do camera and lighting for films, documentary, and fiction. Um, the last like three years, I've primarily been working in documentary, and I've also been directing my own film. Um, so... Most of the work that I do involves filming other people's lives, going into their homes, going to you know their businesses, a lot of private spaces with a camera, and sometimes you know like a pretty large crew of people. So you can imagine that that's not something that anybody wants to be happening right now. Um, so essentially, most film work is completely on hold um, since the shelter-in-place orders went down. So even if people were working on, like, a TV show, for instance, in Los Angeles or, like, a film in um, so many different parts of the country, like, friends of mine were, like, shooting films that um, went, like, um, they just went on pause and nobody knows, like, when they're going to pick up again. And a lot of my work involves traveling across the country. So even right before the shelter-in-place order went down, I was in Detroit and Oklahoma, and I came from New York to San Francisco. So it's just like so much plane travel. And because nobody wants to be doing that right now, all of our work has completely stopped. So as a freelance cinematographer with that as my only source of income, I'm pretty much not working right now. Along with a lot of other people in the country, I know, like, it's really sad to hear how many people have been laid off, but um, it's kind of wild to see our our entire industry just completely shut down. Yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting how, like, so much of what people are consuming right now is what you guys work on, right? Like, right now, movies and TV shows and any type of, like, visual media is really high right now. Like, all the streaming channels, everyone's watching stuff, but all the people making those are kind of, like, laid off at this point right or like furlough or like just not working um and a lot of people are kind of having that discussion like actually this is kind of good a point are you able to take any part of within that stimulus bill are you getting any part of that like is there any provisions for the cinema or like the arts industry specifically well we're all gig workers so um before as like a freelance worker and somebody who primarily gets like 1099 work, which is like contract work, work for hire, um, where 
if somebody's not familiar with this and you usually get a W-2, like your uh, taxes are cut before you get your paycheck, my taxes aren't cut. So Mm -hmm. when I was first starting out, that was really exciting (laughs) because (laughs) I got a big check and I didn't know that on April 15th, I had to give like 30% of that to Uncle (laughs) Sam. Um, And when I was starting out, my dad isn't accountant and he was doing my taxes and I got paid so little that he was like oh don't worry about it and then when I actually made some money he was like you owe this many thousands of dollars and I was like what you're like yeah I spent that what are you talking about (laughs) yeah and he's like savings and I was like do you understand like my business (laughs) um so that's definitely been a learning curve but what that means is like because we don't have a company that pays in like that takes out of our check to pay into like state taxes and federal taxes. Like our social security doesn't kind of get built up the way like a regular W-2 employees does, um, which makes us ineligible um, for unemployment insurance. But the stimulus package has um, changed that so that now like gig workers, which includes me, um, are able to receive unemployment. Um, of course, now it's like the bigger hurdle is that the unemployment like system is completely crashing. Um, so on, I spent Monday. I I'm um, officially a resident of California, but mm-hmm. I live and work primarily in New York. So I have to apply for an insur- uh, unemployment insurance in New York, and that like the process of that was on CBS news or like 60 minutes, you know, like it's made national news at how like difficult it is to just Mm -hmm. like get through one, their website. Like you have to do part of it online and then you have to do part of it over the phone. And like, when I hear that people like got through, I'm just like, how did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) It sounds impossible right now. And it doesn't call you back. It's just like you go through pages and pages once you finally get through to like actually somebody picking up and not getting the busy signal. And then it's just like, oh, we're overwhelmed now. Goodbye. Yeah, I remember um, back in November, I was unemployed for a little bit. I was laid off from one job. And, you know, the first thing I did, they even told me like, hey, go apply for unemployment. Um, And so I did that. I applied for unemployment online. It was pretty, you know, kind of easy. The initial steps were pretty okay, Um, but it was still very confusing. Like if you were if you're doing it for the first time, it's not very clear. Um, And then once I was able to get through with a few, you know, Google searches, I then waited a bit and then started getting like, I got calls from like the, you know, person in charge of my case. And they're like talking to me, they're talking to like my previous company, trying to figure out what exactly happened if I was eligible. Um, and then I started getting mail like, oh, you need to send this or you need to do this or you need to come in for this interview. But then at the same time, I was getting like calls like, oh, don't worry about that piece of mail, worry about this piece. Of mail. It was just so confusing after you got past that initial online stage that I can't even imagine happening it now where they say what like 10 million people have applied for unemployment like the website just must not even be working at this point well so i was on a webinar for filmmakers trying to figure out the um sba loans right now which is a whole other conversation we can dive into (laughs) if anybody's interested um but it that was um like somebody the expert who was on there who was like fielding questions for us said that during the 2008 recession I think in total, 10 million people applied for unemployment. And just this last week, 10 million people applied for unemployment. 
Um, so it really gives you a perspective of like where we are right now in terms of like our workforce as a nation. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And I know you, you're saying that you're classified as like a gig worker. Do you think that without Uber and Lyft and stuff, if they weren't around on the scene, the stimulus bill would have even considered y'all? That's a good point. I mean, I don't know if you're if you're following like some of the regulations in California. So like the I think it's called the AB5 law, um, which is about like the gig workers in California, which is primarily because of Uber and Lyft, um, like Uber and Lyft drivers, like being gig workers, but really mm-hmm. should be employees for Uber and Lyft and should be getting benefits. But yeah. like the negative impact on the, of that is like, of course, as California, we have tons of people that work in the film industry and in journalism, photography, like so many arts and like they're also being negatively impacted because now like people are like, oh, well, it, you're an, if you know, if I give you 10 jobs and that makes you an employee of my company, that's for like photographers. If they do nine jobs, they can freelance. If they do 10, they're an employee. So people are like rather than like bringing them on as, and as employees, they're like, let's reduce the number of gigs that we give you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure like that's helped to make like our economy sort of like big news um or like the gig economy yeah but um i mean i i'm not sure what other like i i'm not really sure i I, i'm obviously like mostly aware of like the arts like and how we're like being impacted so i'd be curious like what other industries kind of classify in this way and you know if any of them were also bringing attention to the issue yeah because i know like you know, there's so many industries that are being hit so hard, um, but there's very few where it's like there's a combination of both being hit hard and being like that kind of not really unemployed, but really unemployed type of gig worker type situation that you guys are in. Because for the most part, if it's like a hotel laying off people, those are just, you know, regular W-2 workers who are going to go file for unemployment or, you know, hopefully try to find another job. Um, so it'll be interesting kind of see the dynamic between the two. Yeah, I mean, I think like, the other thing that's always difficult with this kind of work is you never know when your next job is going to come in. And of course now, like none of us know, mm-hmm. but you know, when I'm looking at, so like um, the small business loans that are, that's, I think that program started last week and it's already been inundated. So that even Mitch McConnell is like, Hey, maybe we need to expand this package. <laughs> um those loans uh, like apply to contract workers. So that's why we've had like so many conversations in like the filmmaking community of like, how do we, you know, like, what do I need to do to qualify? And part of that is also like when you're applying for a loan, it's like showing what your income was. Mm -hmm. And that's so incredibly hard because it's like my income fluctuates month to month. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely fluctuates year to year. And for you to take a loan and say like, hey, yes, I am going to be able to pay back X in, within two years, especially given that we don't know what's, hap- what's going to happen with Corona. It's just like, I, I, I can't promise you anything. And of course, luckily, like some of those are forgivable loans or like forgivable advances because like nobody really knows. Uh, but it's certainly not the kind of position that like somebody like me wants to be in where it's like, yeah, I can promise you, I'll give you 
you know, I don't know, like $300 a month. I can't promise that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think the thing is like, you can barely promise that. And then for the most part, I feel like even a lot of these small businesses that let's say, you know, like just a regular restaurant or just like a regular business that has, you know, let's say consistent income, who knows when that's going to get back to quote unquote normal, right? Because even like, when everything kind of goes back, like when there's no more shelter at home, it's still going to require a lot of time for people to kind of be comfortable going back out and like going back to like their regular routines. So I think it's still gonna be very hard for many of these companies to say like, yeah, we'll be back at it and within two years be able to pay all this off. For sure. I think like, you know, we, I, I've obviously been having conversations with colleagues about like what that means for us. And it's like, if there's social distancing measures that continue and probably should continue. I, I'm definitely not in favor of like, let's just get the economy back on track. <laughs> um, certainly not comfortable with sacrificing grandparents for that. Um, mm -hmm. But I think, you know, if we like, if I just look at my own uh, life, like prior to this, am I going to be like comfortable flying into like so many different states across the country right now, not knowing what the situation is going to be depending on where we go. I, I think that it, you know, in our industry, there's a, because you're uh, a contractor, like for instance, if you hire me to shoot something primarily, I'm getting hired to just show up with all of the gear that you need. That means mm -hmm. that you haven't thought about one, my health and safety insurance, but also you haven't even had to consider like insurance for my gear. So all of the liability is on me. And yeah. often I'm going into situations where there's also no like protective gear or safety taken into account. So, you know, I have filmed in places where like, I've heard like gunshots like going off like you know, a few blocks away and I can't locate a director or a producer or anyone. And I'm just like, uh, I think I'm maybe just going to call an Uber and get out of here because <laughs> nobody is taking my safety into account. And that's not even an abnormal situation, which is so worrying. Um, so, you know, if you think about all of those like things it's like how do I want to be putting myself in the hands of a production that's maybe not going to consider like um, my safety in these situations uh, I probably wouldn't want to do that but then on the other side of it the people that were filming I certainly wouldn't want a whole camera and sound crew to come in to my house right now or if we did like would we have to like wear protective gear or like desanitize or something, you know, before going in, like, what does that look like? Um, and, you know, even on top of that, it's like with, um, if a film is completed, like all of these festivals that a lot of independent filmmakers like count on in order to get their film known and out there and sold, uh, uh, probably many of them will continue to be canceled because, the threshold of people that are going to be in close contact to each other. And the same goes for like theatrical, you know, releases for movies. I don't know when theaters are going to open up again. And I, what I think is that indicates is going to be a complete shift in our culture of like how we consume uh, films and how we, it might not be a community experience anymore. 
Yeah, so, you know, on that note, when we see a lot of the studios right now, they're making that decision, like, whether they delay the film. I've seen some studios delay it a full year. They're just like, yeah, we're going to be doing it next, like, 2021 now. Some are trying to delay, okay, we'll do it in the fall. Like, hopefully everything will be back to normal. And some are just trying to, like, take the hit and be like, okay, we're going to just release it online, rent it for, like, 20 bucks. Or, you know, if they have a streaming service like Disney, we're going to just release it, release it on Disney+. Plus. Uh, do you see this, you know, you're talking about like a shift in how we consume film. Do you see this kind of lasting past the pandemic and a lot more studios of just kind of shifting to releasing direct online and seeing that as like still a way to go rather than releasing in a theater? Um, I, I mean, like I'm obviously not in distribution and not an expert on this, but like I'm also like following conversations because I'm like, what does this mean for for how we even make movies like are we making them for the big screen or not and that changes how you film mm -hmm. um but i do think that there have been moments in history that can like that have caused like certain shifts so obviously like the television and the vcr and like that certainly didn't completely kill like theater going but this is like an animal or a virus, you know, like that we are, mm -hmm. nobody it has ever experienced something like this. I think, you know, it's also, I think the reaction in the U.S. is so different because we have so many wars that we've fought, fought abroad and it's like, now there's like an enemy on, in our landscape and we don't know how to handle the situation, I think, as a culture. Um, so it's, you know, as much as there's like togetherness and community, I think it's also inspiring a lot of like fear and you know, a friend of mine was like, maybe we'll have like ID cards and it'll say like, I, I've already like had COVID and I'm, you know, like I, I have the antibody so I can come mm -hmm. into your house and, or, or go into like a place of business. Um, but I think the very likely sort of the, the damage will already have been done. So in 2008, for instance, this is like a really small version of this, but when the recession happened, a lot of television shows um, went down or got canceled. And that was also around the time, like there were other strikes happening in Hollywood, like actor strikes and writer strikes, and mm -hmm. it impacted a lot of film production. Um, during that time, you also had like a new wave of digital cameras. So you saw a lot of like, pro like television shows and even like independent film start to shift away from film and go to digital cameras. And, you know, I think that kind of transition is what we could see happening right now where uh, people are obviously like risk, less risk averse. The economy has definitely been hit. So if we know that more people are going to feel safer at home if the numbers come back really good for, you know, these quarters for like Netflix and Disney plus and all of these people, they might be like, Hey, like maybe it's just easier for us to stream on our platform. Um, I know that some of them are trying to consolidate and like also become like theatrical distributors, which is going against old like laws that have to do with um, uh, the word is like escaping me, but um, in terms of like, or like the the production company can also be like the theater company, right? So like they won't it won't be like a Disney theater showing only Disney movies. Yeah, there's um, what do you call it? Like, the, what was the law that like got rid of um, where you control the entire like supply chain? Antitrust. 
Yeah, antitrust laws. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's like rewind. I know like there was recent legislation that was like rewinding back like antitrust laws. Mm-hmm. So like they were already sort of moving in that direction of having a lot of control over how things are rolled out in terms of their films. But I think if you know if they have their direct platform, it's just an easier way for them to cut out another person um, and. I, I think, like, as a society, how comfortable we get with, like, going out again, depending on how long this takes, is really going to indicate, like, what kind of level of cinema going, like, we still see. So is, you know, and and that and because it's all economics, it's obviously going to impact first, like, art house films, smaller films. So are movies just going to be reserved for, like, the big blockbuster? And is it going to cost $30 to see a movie? And, you know, is is that just, is that what film-going experiences are going to be like in the future? Like, it could happen. Yeah, because, I mean, definitely with, like, the prices rising, it's always, like, oh, is this movie theater-worthy, right? Like, that's always the question. Am I willing to pay to go see it in theaters? Um, I know for me, I've watched a lot more movies recently since I found like the local theater near me, which has like cheaper tickets. Um, and so then they're also like my wife and I have that differentiation of like, okay, what about is it this movie is it worth this theater or is it worth like the better theater with like the twelve or fifteen dollar ticket, right? And so it's like I think definitely kind of seeing after this when theaters have to recoup a lot of the costs that they're losing out on right now, we will kind of see a bigger shift of having a lot more. I think I would say like. Right now, you see a lot of the small theaters will have to run like Disney movies on a lot of screens to make, you know, a lot of that money back because Disney takes such a big cut. And we're going to see more of that, right? Like the smaller films, you're just not going to see at places. I think a lot of the smaller theaters were already having trouble or shutting down, which is really, really, I think, like a bad thing for the industry just because a lot of these smaller films um, and theaters, like they turn out or not turn out, but they like help produce a lot of the talent that goes and works for like the bigger companies. Totally. Yeah. I mean, everybody gets gobbled up and I'm, I'm ready to sell out if somebody wants to, <laughs> to gobble me up too. You can direct uh, <laughs> the new next Miss Marvel movie or yeah, that was the one. Uh, well, they're already making a TV show. Um, I don't think I made it to the short list. <laughs> you know, we're talking about like how everyone right now is consuming um, movies and um you know, television and obviously, of course, like comic books and all of these things that are um, driven by creators and artists. Mm -hmm. But um, I think the interesting thing is also going to be that we are going to see like a hole in terms of like new content um, with like, you know, pilot season, I think was just about to kick off and has been canceled. I feel like a lot of television shows are probably not going to come back for another season. So many movies have been put on hold. So I think that's also going to be an interesting opening for the market and possibly new um, entry points for perhaps like smaller filmmakers. I think, you know, like a lot of documentary filmmakers are talking about like, does, you know, we're quote unquote, living in the world of the golden age of documentary, mm-hmm. is that going to open up more of an opportunity for documentary to be like prime time? I feel like that's maybe a pipe dream. But um, it, I think it there there's a possibility that that opens up that we haven't experienced before. So it could be exciting, too. Yeah, no, I definitely think that because, you know, when you're talking about where a lot of people like all these creators 
right now they aren't really being able to do a lot of the work that they want to, right? Um, so one of the things I also saw on Twitter, there's this whole conversation about how creativity and like arts is always like kind of lauded in a way, but at the same time, like always discouraged, right? Like they're always talking about, oh, you need to go into STEM. Like we need these fields. We only need STEM. We only need that. Um, and it's like, oh, arts isn't a real career. But then like when everything shuts down, what are you guys all doing? You're all watching or reading what's created by artists, right? What's created by these industries. So I also feel like these people will get a lot more respect. will get a lot more standing within I think society just because people will see the amount of effort that goes into these type of uh, things just because right now they're consuming everything they put out. And then when it gets back to like, quote unquote, normal, and there is that big kind of, you know, shortage, there is that gap of like, hey, we don't have any TV shows. We didn't have anyone working on them, right? We didn't have this. There's no one working. We couldn't work. People are really going to see the ramifications of when you don't have, you know, support behind those type of industries. Yeah, I mean, I certainly hope so. I mean, I think it's also just, um, you see all this like poetry floating around and it's, I think we are, our like job is really to help people also understand life and what they're going through. Um, so I think there's a lot of importance in terms of like the work that people do, like not maybe, but like, I think I, I often think of myself as a craftsperson, so it's different, but I do think that, um, there's definitely like, you know, there's museums that have like virtual galleries right now. And I think Mm -hmm. there's so much of a craving to just like see the world and like see it through somebody's experience and eyes. And I I definitely think that that is being valued in a way that probably hasn't been for. Definitely. Um, So, yeah. So how, how are you handling it in terms of personally, are you back at your house with the fam or what's going on? Yeah. So I, I'm not some like to all of the people that are on the front lines. I'm really sorry because I was somebody who was still traveling until like before the shelter in place order went down. I think I was thinking about just how much misinformation there was and why I was traveling so much right before this. And I think I Mm -hmm. just like, you know, like I heard people say like, oh, just wash your hands and don't touch your face and you'll be fine. And we were filming you know, just a few weeks before all of this happened and we thought we were fine. And I um, I was in San Francisco for a film premiere at a festival that it they had their first weekend and then they actually got shut down um, because they were seeing really low turnout and they kept telling people, it's safe, come out. And now I'm like, oh, that was such terrible messaging. <laughs> it's really good that they shut down. But it's, it just shows how quickly like we've adapted um, and I, because I was already, I, I live in New York, but I was in California. I decided to come down to Orange County and visit my parents. Um, but I, I, I did have misgivings when I was in San Francisco. I was like, maybe I should just fly back to New York. I don't want to, you know, my dad's 70 and my mom is, um, you know, like she's in her sixties, but she's also a diabetic. And so they both mm-hmm. kind of fall into that high risk range. And I certainly didn't want to put them at risk. And I, I said I'd been traveling. I was in San Francisco, like that, where there were already so many cases. Um, but they were like, "We really want you to come home, and don't worry about it." Like I think, I, and I it was just kind of it, we all kind of got caught up in, "Oh, you'll just wash your hands and shower, and it'll be fine." <laughs> um, luckily, I sort of like social distance from them while when I got here. So like, Mm -hmm. I I didn't give anybody a hug. (laughs) I was like, you know, like, don't touch my stuff, like kind of like trying to keep myself away from them, but not in full quarantine. So I think we're very lucky that 
um, I wasn't sick. They didn't get sick. It's mm-hmm. been uh, tomorrow. It's going to be a month since I was here uh, or since I arrived. And I, I was supposed to go back to New York on March 17th. And I, you know, like, like I said, I, I'm a gig worker, so I didn't have a job right away to go back to, but things that I had lined up a few weeks from then had already started getting canceled. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I, I also, um, I'm like a diehard California girl. (laughs) So (laughs) if I don't need to be in New York city, you will not find me in New York city. Um, so I was like, if I don't have work there, I certainly don't want to go there and, you know, it would get caught up in, in what, like, even before I, I came out to California, I got some food delivered because my friends were like, just just have something in your house, order some pasta and, you know, whatever. And mm-hmm. I, I like things were already sold out and it was hard to get a delivery. Oh wow! So, yeah. And this was uh, end of February. Um, so I was already kind of like getting anxious about going back to that. I have like a 350 foot studio and I was like or 350 square feet studio and I was didn't want to be there I, there's like no balcony it's you know <laughs> still winter like there's so many things that I was like I can't be by myself and I'm I'm like so so happy that I I didn't go back um so many of my friends have gotten corona they're thank god they're all fine they're recovering um but they're all also like smart responsible people so they weren't being you know, casual about going out or like they were wearing masks and gloves and they still managed to get sick. Um, So I'm really, I feel really fortunate that I was already here. Um, But I also think like mental health wise, it's definitely, it's been a really strange transition. Um, I'm used to traveling sometimes like twice a week for a job and always working and meeting new people on a semi-regular basis so Mm -hmm. this is it it, quarantine life is so strange um and i would probably have had like a more of a meltdown i did have a meltdown but more of one (laughs) if i was not with my family right now yeah no i mean that's really good that you're able to at least be with family because i know for a lot of people like having that separation is really not beneficial obviously to any type of mental health because Right. You don't have anything to do. And, you know, your family's in a totally different location. I know this friend of mine, he's in Chicago and he's living by himself and he was actually borderline about to be evicted. And like it wasn't until he like got in connection with the local lawyer that helped him like kind of give a notice to the landlord like, hey, you can't just like kick me out and stuff. But he was having to do this while his like family actually is like in Pakistan still. And so he was here by himself, like, in a like, you know, studio, not even like with any roommates. Um, so definitely like having that type of environment is really harsh. So I'm, I'm really happy that, you know, you're at least able to be around family and stuff. Yeah, I was talking to a friend who finally decided to go back to France like two days ago. And I was like, I was right away. I was like, just leave. And she, she was <laughs> like, what if I can't come back to New York? Like, you know, she was like, I have a green card. I'm not a citizen. And I was like, it doesn't matter. And also, like, do you really want to be in this country and like dependent on this country's health care if shit really goes mm. down? <laughs> No, no, definitely. If I was here, I'd have like, flown back as soon as possible. <laughs> I was like, go to France. You guys are socialists. You'll take care of each other. <laughs> was it, was, did she get back there before the whole ban happened? 
she just got back a couple of days ago. Um, I guess they're probably still allowing nationals to come back in. Uh, okay. Well, that's good. At least, I mean, I know for a lot of people, I, I know some people who like were flying to Europe the day before the ban happened and like they landed and like heard the news and were like, oh man, how do I get back? Like, they, like we're trying to figure out like the day they landed, how they can return and not get like, have to pay like $10,000 because the flights were just ridiculous. Yeah, which is also insane. It's just like, you know, obviously, like, it's so strange here. Like, we had some of my sister's friends who were like, oh, the flights are so cheap. I'm just going to travel right now. And it's like, what? (laughs) No, I I can't say too much because... We were we were on that. We were those people. <laughs> like it wasn't like we literally like we booked and canceled trips to Orlando within 24 hours because <laughs> we were like, how bad is it? Like, can we go to Disney World? Literally, we we're trying to go to Disney World before it got too crazy. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but like it was legit. Like it was like the middle. Of, like it was like a, a couple of days before Illinois had put in the shelter in place. And we booked it and like within like 24 hours, so much had changed that we like canceled and got the immediate refund. We were like, okay, we can't do this. You know, this plan was obviously foolish. Uh, <laughs> we were like, you know what? We'll try. <laughs> Cause well, like the I... tickets were like literally $20 each way. Oh yeah. You can go around trip to New York right now for 50 bucks. And I was like, maybe I should just visit my apartment and pick up some of my stuff. <laughs> but you know, actually I think I'm, I'm sort of like, uh, the sanitary police in our mm. house. And I think part of it is because I was on the outside <laughs> before yeah. all of this started happening. Like I, I you know, we, I, and I, obviously like my industry has been impacted more than like my family members. So one of my sisters is a high school teacher. Um, they actually are up and running this week and trying to teach classes remotely now. Um, my other sister is a college professor. She's also teaching classes remote and my other sister is an attorney and all of their work shifted to remote work like fairly quickly. Um, but, you know, I think I was, I was like traveling and I was seeing things getting shut down and I was seeing, you know, just like small cultural changes happening mm-hmm. around us where like we, we, we at the film festival that I was at, like they were sanitizing the seats before everyone went in and there was constantly like people like we have awkward like photos on the red carpet where none of us have our arms around each other. <laughs> and I, I think like just being around that level of like uh, paranoia, but also like legitimate paranoia and people being worried. I I came home and I was just like why are you guys being so casual about this and have sort of like whipped everyone into shape? Um, but they're not happy with me. Certainly. <laughs> I think if you were just like kind of living your daily life and then it was suddenly shut off, um, I can see how you would be like, Oh, it can't be that bad. But I think mm-hmm. if you're seeing so many different people and how they're reacting to it, it's, it just gives you a perspective. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that we've definitely, I think, had a little bit of trouble kind of getting adjusted to um we me and my wife given that it's just the two of us we try to be as safe as possible like we have specific you know corona clothes that if we go outside we wear those clothes and we take them out like we change clothes when we get back wash hands and everything um and we, we try to like limit we go out for like walks every day but when we go for a walk it's like we don't try to enter any store like we don't try to go anywhere like we only try to do like a grocery store run once a week so that's like we minimize like the interaction with other people or interaction with areas where there could be you know, any type of thing where you could catch anything. Um, so that's definitely been a big shift, but like even like a 15 minute walk, it's like, okay, change everything, 
before you leave and then when you get back change everything and take a shower um so it's definitely like small things like that where i'll be glad when it's over but then there's other things which i'm i'm hoping like you know our culture kind of shifts in towards the more positive direction that we retain things like you know wearing masks where i know a lot of people are saying oh it doesn't even help that much with corona but overall when people are sick like if you have like you know the common cold or something like that and you wear a mask like you decrease the spread considerably but so far like in the u.s up until now it's been much more of a if you're wearing a mask you're like very much contagious whereas like in the east asian countries if you have a common cold, if you have like a sniffle, you can put on a mask and no one's going to say anything. So I'm hoping I maybe, mean, you know, if you there's don't, like... <laughs> they do say something. Like when yeah. we were in Japan, Fatima got sick and people were giving her dirty looks and we bought her a mask. <laughs> but yeah, I totally like... agree. I think like it's so much more sanitary and it's better. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, like <laughs> at my work, we got like a chat in the company chat. Like this was a few days before we were sent to work from home. But like someone like the one of the higher ups was like, the masks are said to have like they they said like oh the CDC says masks do not help prevent the spread of corona so if you're at work you shouldn't be wearing a mask like don't wear a mask while you're at work if you think you need a mask because you're sick go home and I was like why are you going hard on people wearing a mask like there's a pandemic going on just send us work from and then we went to work from home like the next day. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that sort of in- indicative of how things are changing and but also like how much bad information everyone was getting so that like you know uh we already had cases that were going on by the end of february and i was having conversations with people about upcoming work schedules so like i had an interview with somebody who was going to be filming in kenya in april so like a week Mm -hmm. from now and i was like uh this is at the end of february we're having this conversation and i was like do you think Kenya is going to want any Americans to come in <laughs> in April? Because we're about to get hit with Corona. And mm-hmm. I think like intellectually, I knew that, but I feel like there was no idea of like what that would look like in terms of like our daily life or what that should look like. Because mm-hmm. like I said, it was just like, wash your hands and don't touch your face. And it's yeah. like, <laughs> it's so much more intense than that. And there is a certain level of like, let's not incite fear in people. And then there's a certain level of like, let's not bring the economy to a halt. And yeah. I think it's just that what this is. I, I, I hope that what comes out of it is an understanding that capitalism is not leading us down a good path no definitely not unfretted and unregulated as it is you know within our country it's definitely i think shown its roots and i think a lot of people are wanting some type of change um except bernie sanders dropped out today i don't know if we can talk politics but man that made me sad that makes me very sad i think (laughs) most of the people on my podcast know by now it was very staunch bernie supporter i'm very sad about that you know it is it is what it is um but you know speaking of like traveling what's the what's the like craziest place that you had to travel to like record something you know film something um probably the wildest experience i had was when i went to the tribal areas of pakistan um which is the it's called FATA, the federally administrated tribal areas they're the it's the part of pakistan that is um adjacent to Afghanistan. Um, and that was a, a situation where the people that hired me were not thinking about my safety or taking mm-hmm. that in, as into consideration as much as I think they should have been. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, in terms of places to consider safety, I think that would be a, a top place. Um, no one should ever be going near Fatah in any way. <laughs> I mean, what the, in, I think what was, well, so the thing was we were working with these Americans who, um, and I, I say Americans, like I, I'm obviously also like an American, but I, one, ha- had been living in Pakistan for four years at that point. Um, I had a national ID card, so I wasn't considered um, like I, I would would be considered a national there. And mm-hmm. as somebody who has an ID card, I was legally allowed to enter the tribal areas. But oh, okay. like, yeah, like so when you um, if you're going as a foreigner on your stamp of entry, it literally says you cannot go into like cantonments, which is like where the military housing and stuff is. Mm-hmm. And you can't go into the tribal areas. And uh, this woman that hired us like lied <laughs> to me and was like, I think it's fine. I'm going to go. And I was like, uh, you can go, but I don't want to go with you. <laughs> like, you know, like I don't want to be traveling with like a white woman who's breaking the bounds of her past, like her, you know, legal entry. Yeah. And like, and I was like, and I don't think you, you know, white girl who lives in Venice really understands <laughs> what I'm talking about when I'm talking about like Fata, when I'm talking about like the lawlessness of those kinds of areas. And, you know, I had already worked before in Pakistan and been followed by like Pakistani intelligence. So Mm -hmm. for me, like I was like, I've seen what this looks like. And that was like I I got really lucky that, you know, I wasn't detained or anything for any sort of serious length of time. But um yeah, it was just like I what we ended up I, I basically ended up saying like I'll go and shoot there but I won't go with you. And we found like some locals to a certain village and we were like okay, we're going to go to your village because you're known mm-hmm. in this village. But um you know, we ha- also had like th- armed like an armed guard with us. So literally like our driver was sitting with like a pistol next to him. And then shotgun was literally a guy with like, you know, like an AK-47 or something who was just like had the gun out and like very much presentable because it was me and another woman and we both had our cameras in the back. Um, Mm. So it was just like, you know, they were like, it's you're fine, you're safe, but it's just a deterrent. And actually it was like we saw people like picnicking you know in the hills of Fata and like uh listening to music and I was just like oh this is like what I see on the news with like you know obviously there is drone warfare there's horrible things happening there Mm -hmm. but there's like this other side of it where I was like this is just like a lovely you know nice spring day that we are experiencing um but when we came back um that night like we got some news alerts that the all of there's like seven agencies there um that's how they break up the territories so Mm. in the agency that we were in um the military had had skirmish with like uh terrorists that were trying to come in from afghanistan so it's like you know yeah it was like a lovely spring day but we also just got super lucky (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean that sounds like a really wild ride but yeah i think one of the things that when I went to Pakistan recently as well, is that I became very used to like kind of guns being out of the open, like with guards and stuff. Like my college, she had a 
guard that would go around in the truck with us. And it was like within like a day or two, I just became used to him having like the gun out. Like it was like, oh yeah, he's there. We're good. We're protected. Let's go get something to eat. Um, but it's definitely, I think, a whole different experience when I was like in a major city versus like going into like, you know, that travel area where there's, I think, much more likelihood that he would have had to use it if you guys weren't so lucky. Yeah, I mean, at that point, like, I also don't even speak the language, you know, like, we're, uh, it, like, in a place where there were a lot of, like, Afghani refugees, and, like, some men were, like, really getting mad at us for, like, filming, and mm-hmm. I can't even, like, de-escalate the situation, one, because I don't understand what they're saying, but, like, they're not even really going to look at me, like, they were just looking at our driver going, like, why are you allowing this woman to do this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, well, Jazaka Karen team for joining us on the show. Um, do you want to tell the audience a little bit about, you know, what social media you have that they can follow, as well as any of the films that may be on any, like, streaming services or websites that they could go buy or watch right now of yours? Um, can I do, like, a shameless plug right now, too? All the plugs that you want. That's the, that. This portion of the show is for you to plug everything. Great. Um, so, I, you know that I'm currently directing a film that's about Muslim-American civil rights activists, the film is called An Act of Worship. The website is anactofworship.com. You can find all of our social media there. But one of the things that we're really asking people for, and as you know, like we interviewed you last week, we're asking um, people to reach out to us and tell us about some of some instances of Islamophobia that they might have encountered or just different like stories they have about growing up in the U.S. And we are also asking people to send us like home videos Um, And we just really want to like paint a picture of what our experience has been versus the experience that you see on the news. So you can reach out to us from our website, inactiveworship.com. Please, um, you know, send us videos, get in touch with us about being interviewed. Um, Other than that, like I have all of my cinematography um, contact information on my personal website, which is dpdataboy.com so that's like dp for director of photography databoy.com and I don't have like any of my work I have another documentary that I directed that's not available to stream right now Um, but there are some films that I have shot that are available so there's a short um, that I shot that was nominated for an Oscar a few years ago I think that's available on iTunes and it's called La Femme et le TGV. And then there's a Swiss um, raunchy comedy um, <laughs> that's also streaming on Vimeo <laughs> called 20 Rules for Sylvie. Um, if you want to get an idea of like the Swiss trying to do comedy. <laughs> no, definitely. And for those listening, I mean, the first part that she was talking about, I actually did a you know phone call interview with Moshin. So no, definitely. Whenever that comes out, uh, look for my voice. I know since you're listening to this, you obviously love listening to my voice. Uh, <laughs> but no, it was a really good experience. So if you're interested in helping out, definitely get in contact with them. Other than that, uh, Jazakla care for listening. As always, you can find me at ZBHOY and at IMMTCast. Salam.